You're listening to Conversations in Atlantic Theory, a podcast dedicated to books and ideas generated from and about the Atlantic world. In collaboration with the Journal of French and Francophone Philosophy, these conversations explore the cultural, political, and philosophical traditions of the Atlantic world, ranging from European critical theory to the Black Atlantic to sites of indigenous resistance and self-articulation, as well as the complex geography of thinking between traditions, inside traditions, and from positions of insurgency, critique, and counter-narrative. Today's discussion is with Kajitan Iheka, who teaches in the English department at Yale, where his research and teaching focuses on African and Caribbean literatures, eco-criticism, eco-media, and world literature. He's the editor of the Modern Language Association Option for Teaching Volume, Teaching Postcolonial Environmental Literature and Media, and the co-editor of African Migration Narratives, Politics, Race, and Space. He also serves as the deputy editor of African Studies Review, the multidisciplinary journal of the African Studies Association. In this conversation, we discuss Ihika's book, African Ecomedia, Network Forms, Planetary Politics, which was published in 2021 by Duke University Press. Our conversation here focuses on the key concepts and arguments in the book about centering Africa in discourses on media, ecologies, materiality, and infrastructure in media studies and environmental humanities. So we're here today with Kajitan. Um, welcome. We're really happy that you're joining us. So I'm going to go ahead. Um, John, would you like to get us started? Sure. Um, yeah, welcome. I'm really glad you made some time to talk about your book uh, today. It's a fantastic book. Um, extremely interesting. I think it's one of these books that uh, it's going to make a deep impact on multiple fields. It obviously has a particular kind of focus, mm-hmm. but um, it has a breadth of, of of theorizing very 21st century books. So getting to hear you talk about it today is going to be really interesting and um, I'm really grateful for your time. Let me ask you um, as a first question about the origins of the project. Uh, I always say, you know, books don't uh, sort of get written in a fit of energy. They're, <laughs> they're full uh, lifestyle commitments. Mm-hmm. They take over our lives right. and, and that sort of thing. Um, so something always motivates the book, mm-hmm. you know, something mm-hmm. deep, something, uh, some kind of commitments, mm-hmm. uh, an affects that attached to it. Right. So I just wanted to ask you if you would to sort of narrate us into the project, what kind of uh, personal concerns, ethical concerns, philosophical concerns, drew you to this uh, project and why write it now? Okay. Yeah. Um, thank you so much, John and Fatima for having me. It's really a pleasure. Um, I was just, I was listening just a few weeks ago to your conversation with my friend, Jim Marie Jackson at um, John Hopkins. So, uh, so it's really nice, you know, to be following in that, you know, you know, um, amazing tradition. Yeah. So, so, you know, this, this, this is a book that I, I like to think of as really following from my first book, Naturalizing Africa, which I know, you know, we'll get to. So, you know, Naturalizing Africa came out of um, this inclination to think about um, literature 
and um, politics in a particular kind of way. I was introduced to environmental narratives during my undergraduate days in Nigeria as the Niger Delta crisis, you know, was really taking shape. So, you know, if we talk a lot about aesthetic distance, you know, from Adorno and other, you know, theorists like that, but for me, it was interesting to see a kind of proximity, really, between art and life, really, playing out, you know, in my undergraduate studies in Nigeria. So that was really got me interested. And when I came to the U.S. in 2009, seven months later, you had a BP oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico. And this spill, as I was thinking about how this Delta in the United States, you know, was actually responding to this, you know, terrific, um, this terrible event in comparison to this everyday occurrence in the Niger Delta of Nigeria. So that's grounded my work in this, um, um, you know, in this area. So I, so as I was working on my dissertation based on my background in literature, I became also aware of this, you know, visual culture of film photography and other media looking at you know, some of the issues I was interested in. Um, I was I worked with Kenneth Harrow, who's at Michigan State, who was tradition, who works primarily on African film and, and tried. And the joke is that you come to Ken Harrow to work on literature and you end up writing a dissertation on film. And and I said, you know what, I'm I'm I, I will be the middle ground guy. I will do literature and film. But as I tried to write the project, it just it just come, wasn't coming together. And I decided it was going to be a second project for me to do visual culture. Um, so the so, so the, the book came out of that attempt to, you know, to you know to continue the conversation I couldn't in in the first book. Um, but as I, as I was thinking about the book, though, you have this wave of really fascinating cultural productions in Africa in the past decade, you know, as, you know, in the past, you know, basically 15 years, you know, um, the literary culture, you know, has been, has so much attention has been, has, has gone to it. But there's also this other artistic, you know, productions that were coming out and people were, people were, have you seen this? Have you seen that? So the book was basically a way for me to, you know, do justice to, um, amazing, you know, cultural artifacts coming out, um, you know, from the continent. It was also a way for me to continue some of the conversation that I that I started in the in the, in the first book, which really continues my long term interest in thinking about what cultural productions bring to you know social and, and um, political issues. So, say so yes, that's how it came about. It's really interesting how you mentioned the um, conversations that you joined together. And so it really does, you know, bring forth this question of, you know, the subtitle when you talk about, you know, networks. And so I guess the question is really, so why network forms and planetary politics as the subtitles? What are these networks that you're drawing us and bringing our attention to? Yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. So as, as, as I researched the book, it became clear to me that the discourses, um, and, you know, I was shaped a lot by conversations in media studies right now, you know, which temp, which has been focusing so much on infrastructure, um, the materiality of media. That was really, that was a conversation that really made a big impact as I was preparing the book. And the more I looked at that conversation, the more it became clear to me that Africa really should be central to this conversation because we can't really disentangle, you know, um, our 
our media culture from, you know, oil, you know, derived from places like the Niger Delta and Angola. We can derive, we can separate our media culture from Coltan, which powers our cell phone, which is causing a lot of havoc in a place like the Congo. And um, the fact that in a place like Agbubuloshi in Ghana, much of our, you know, some, some media devices used across the world end up there as waste and produces, you know, some form of ecological devastation in the process of recycling. So I wanted to bring this out of this away place, this place we don't really think about when we think about our gas, when we think about um, our cell phones and all that. So I wanted to show the way that Africa has been embedded within this, um, this um, um, you know, global networks, you know, these global networks that so 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 for me so network forms provided it provided a language for me to capture um you know to capture the way that the continent is embedded with all these other places um but it's also not a very always a positive development you know to be sure you know africans have benefited from being from being engaged in um in these conversations in being and being, you know, attached to the world in different ways. But it's been a lopsided, you know, uh, conversation. So on one hand, you know, so I'm drawing attention to the inequalities of the presence, you know, um, um, ways of interconnection, while also showing the ways that these artistic forms I'm looking at are actually trying to envision other ways of being in the world, you know. Africans don't want to be isolated, I think. The work they are producing, they are showing other ways of being embedded with other parts of the world. So network form then allows me allows me to mark inequalities of current consumption levels, um, inequalities of current um, connection levels, but at the same time show that how, you know, at the level of form itself, these artists are drawing on, you know, um, or, um, alternative ways of being, but also fundamentally that the arts, the artworks I'm looking at too, they are shaped, they are shaped, you know, also by the fact that these artists, even the ones that are Africans, are not just drawing from you know, primarily they're drawing from African, you know, traditions, but they are also shaped by, you know, um, by the experience elsewhere. You know, some of some of that in terms of their training. You know, somebody like you know, um, um, Wanuri Kaiyu, the Kenyan filmmaker, whose film Pumzi I looked at in chapter one. You know, she's trained, you know, trained, you know, in LA. You know, we have to think about that in, in the same way that she's using indigenous Kikuyu aesthetics in her work. So for me, so network is capturing both, you know, social political connections, but also connections that shape the form of the work themselves. Um, and of course, you know, the ecological politics, the, the planetary politics ultimately is ultimately about, you know, this alternative mode that, you know, shifts us away from the problems of globalization to try, trying to think about being with others who are humans, but also non-humans at the same, and also non-humans in a, in, in a, in a less or non-hierarchical way. So the planetary day is a kind of, is a goal of the future that it works, I'm arguing, as, as suggested for us. And is that sort of where you land the, the word politics? Yes. On the sort of imagination of ways of right. being together? Right, 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 correct. And I think that's so, uh, just, I, I think that's so interesting because, of course, that's, you know, when you say politics and Africa, right, mm -hmm. I think people, mm -hmm. you know, the sort of habit that people want to go to right. is, 
you know, sort of neo-colonial, right. you know, sort of political economy. Right, but the, right. just the way you were talking, I just wanted to right. to sort of underscore just what work that you do with that word politics mm-hmm, to get mm-hmm. us to to reconnect to the life world of of aesthetic production, but right. also uh, ecology. Yes, yes, and and yeah, and you know, which becomes crucial in places like the continent, where really, you know. Um, the work of art, the you know, imaginative works have really been crucial, you know, to um, it's you know, they, you know, they, they, they've been crucial to political formations, you know, across the country. It is not a coincidence that people, you know, that that people like Senghor, you know, are some of the most important thinkers, you know, that the continent has produced, and have also been implicated with, you know, with its um, politics, you know. Um, so yes, you know, it, so that's that's so the way so art. I think you know, if there's one thing I'm really particularly cons- concerned about, it is the way that art, you know, artistic expressions, you know, the way the political work that it do, I think, you know, becomes central in that way. So, yes. So, speaking to how, um, you know, art, especially in, you know, blackness, you know, connecting it to the non-humans. Right. And I really like how you pointed out Pumzi because I think while you were speaking, that was when I was like, oh, you you do a completely beautiful deep dive <laughs> on, you know, Pumzi in your book, which you know, it was just super interesting because it's never been analyzed that way. How, you know, she pulls from African indigenous resource right. and she combines it right. with science fiction. Right. So it really made me think, you know, we should, the way we look at blackness uh-huh. and technological advances is always uh-huh. seen as opposite ends. Uh-huh. So I guess, you know, while you were working on this book, so how do you understand blackness in relation to technological progress? Yes. What are the, you know, how do you see this model? What are the virtues and these drawbacks? Mm. Yeah, thank you for the question. You know, I think, you know, Africans, Africans are technological beings like like, like everybody else. That That's the first thing I would say, you know, um, as, as more and more work is done in earlier periods on the continent, we're finding out, you know, we are, we are learning about, you know, the kind of um, technological, you know, inventions and you know ways of being that got um that got sidetracked that got marginalized or got reappropriated you know you know with with with, with slavery and colonialism and you know those other those systems but i so but you know but but what's what's you know what's significant about blackness and technology is that you know blackness has not benefited you know tremendously you know black people have not benefited tremendously from technology you know when i'm thinking let's take the niger delta for example when when oil was discovered in in nigeria in, in commercial quantity in the 1950s for example the idea was that you know this you know this process of refining this process of this oil technology would would you know really bring about would bring about you know really progress would bring about you know development in a way and you know and you see a brief period of oil boom and you know and what happened but ultimately as we know today and some of the images i'm looking at in the book suggest you know it's been 
has been antithetical does you know to the to, to to you know to these african people living in those places so i would say yes that technology has somehow there's a there's a bias you know there's a bias against black people in technology mm -hmm. they are the disposable bodies disposable people that allow technology to you know to work um but at the same time too but i'm also you know but i'm also thinking also about the ways that in africans have also they've also continued to find ways to adapt to adopt technology and black people more broadly you know um from the united states you know to the caribbean to you know to the continent they find ways to um, you know, to you know, to use you know um, technology to empower themselves. I'm thinking, for example, of the, the kind of the kind of amazing startups you know that are that are happening in places like Lagos, for example, Nairobi or Johannesburg these days. You know, so these are some of these young men, have not, young men and women. They come from nothing. You know, they didn't even go to college, but somehow self thought or through mentorship of you know of trainers are really you know rewriting the story of africa rewriting the story of blackness you know with code with the use of technology so yes you know i, I want to find ground you know the exploitative you know um dimension of technology for blackness and black people and black communities but i also want to register i want to register um the you know the you know it, it's it's empowering it's empowering you know possibilities mm -hmm. and um and express you know this desire the hope that you know more and more you know that technology would go more in the direction of empowerment rather than exploitation for black people um yeah so you know that's i you know i'm thinking here yeah, for example you know people like you know simone um someone like you know so simone brown at you know ut austin you know um or you know um Rua benjamin at princeton too some of the ways that they are thinking about some um, technology and blackness and mm -hmm. surveillance especially you know some of it mm -hmm. you know, um some of this you know um you know some of the things i'm thinking about right now actually since i saw your question last night yeah yeah so um uh you know, maybe I think Fatima will probably speak a little bit to this, but, you know, one of the things that she and I were talking about is so striking about the book, and this is sort of zooming back out to, okay. uh, yeah, to uh, you know, we talked about the subtitles, so, um, you know, why not to stay on the on the front of the book? Okay. Um, it's a really striking cover. Yes, yes, right? yes, yes. Um, and, and when we post the podcast, there'll be a, a you know, an image of the cover. So, okay. so folks who don't have the book can take a look. Okay. Um, you know, I wonder what's behind the, the cover. I don't right. Fatima, I don't know if you want to sort of it sharpen that a little bit. It's, um, it's, I remember when I first saw the cover, mm -hmm. I th it appealed to me. <laughs> it makes you take a double take, right. you know, you're like, what, what is happening? You know, it's, <laughs> it's a crafted statue of a woman, but then you look closer and it's a tree stump, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and then there's fire in the background. You can see like burning you. So you, it's very evident. There's like ecological destruction right. happening, right. but at the same time, it's you know this it seems like an african statue you know holding up a leaf yeah, out of all things yeah. <laughs> so it's it's really it's like what what is happening yes. and um please let us know because it's, it's very interesting yes 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 yeah thank you i think you know um so the um fabrice montero the artist really i think his work encountering his work really because 
earlier on, I was like, is there a project here? Is there a book here? Is there an article here? But finding and countering his work sent to me by a colleague really made me realize, made me confirm for me that, mm-hmm. yes, I got to go, you know, I got to spend some years, you know, um, playing in this area. So, yes, I, I want to thank him for, you know, for, 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 the, for the work, but also for allowing me to use, to use as a cover. But really, yes, you know, it was the same, the first time I countered these images on, on the internet, I was, I, I was blown away. I was blown away. And it resonated for me in, in, you know, in, 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 in two ways that this is, this is a beautiful image. You know, this is a beautiful image, but it was also hard for me to, you know, to look at them together, um, including with this one, without thinking about the Mami Water figure, you know, in, you know, in, in, you know, in the, in the culture that I grew up with, you know, which is both, you know, this symbol of fear, but also of, you know, of um, desire. So, 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 so there's a sense in which, and I think, you know, that, that is very, is very, it's very conducive. It's very appropriate for thinking about the environment there. Because on the one hand, you know, the environment is something that we, you know, something that we're attracted to, something that sustains us. Um, but at the same time, it's something that can kill us. It's something that can, you know, destroy us, as we see in the places from the Delta to Flint in Michigan, you know, um, you know, our environment can be our undoing. So that's, so that's, that's, you know, that's, you know, um, subliminal, um, notion of attraction and, and, and repulsion really, I think, you know, stood out for me in that image. And that's part of why I wanted to use it. It was also an image that I came to was part of the thing I, I struggled with. And we will talk about this, you know, in the course of our conversation, I hope was how to do, how to represent how to use some of these images how to talk about these problems without just reifying you know the continent as the you know kind of problem you know as a kind yeah. of you know problem place so that was that was that was the biggest challenge of writing this book and i thought that this image does a good job of not romanticizing the continent but there are possibilities of hope at the same time it's beautiful there's something beautiful about there there's a female figure at the center of of the image and then they leave you know for the destruction going around you know they leave is you know there's something that you know that there's there's something about regeneration you know, there's something about regeneration that, that they live. But if, and even, even the fire itself, you know, fire is, you know, is as, as I write in some of, in some parts of the book, it's, you know, it's a terrible thing. It leads to destruction. But fire in African communities as elsewhere where famine is important, fire is also crucial to regeneration. The fire is also crucial to rebirth. So, so the double significations that play across different levels of the image, you know, really made it, you know, um, fascinating. And then ultimately, to the way it came up, when they, you know, when Duke, you know, the, the designer did an amazing job, when they mocked up, you know, a few, a few images, because the only instruction I'm like, I, I don't want something that is just pessimistic on the cover image. That's yeah. all I told them. And then when, when they mocked up a few images and a few, a few possibilities, and I looked at them and shared with some colleagues, you know, and, you know, everybody, everybody really said, you know, this, this is it. This is it. And, um, yeah, and I agreed. And that's really, that's really how this image came to be. Yeah. But just the double signification, I think is important for me, uh, for the image. Yeah, I love how it really does embody the, I don't know if it's even a paradox, mm-hmm. but just the the contradictory right. 
right. forces in the book right. that you're trying to articulate exactly. that nevertheless have to be thought together. Yes, and yes. I'm glad that you were able to to get that as a cover. Mm-hmm. You know, um, mm-hmm. covers and titles are yeah. such. Yes. Um, yeah, it could be such battles yes. with uh, presses. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, yeah. I mean, it's a it's a stunning work of art, mm-hmm. so I'm I'm not surprised they went with it. Yeah, thank you. I don't want to get us off on a tangent with yeah. me talking about how <laughs> titles and covers have gone, or uh, perusing stock photos and stuff like that. <laughs> so, uh, but Duke does great covers. Oh so, yes, yes, wow. yes. It's 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 really been a pleasure um, working with them on this one. Yeah. So let me ask you about um, about this book in relation to your. 2018 book naturalizing right. africa yeah um i mean that you know you've spoken to it a little bit mm-hmm. at, the, at the outset mm-hmm. and, and mentioned this you know the way this this book had a connection in terms of like you know having too many too many sort of range right. uh, you know too wide a range of right. of, of objects for study right. in the first book so mm-hmm. it became the second book um you know and what obviously is the resonance between the two books is that movement away from an anthropocentric framework right, right, that right. splits the human and the non-human. Right. So I'm interested, in, interested to hear you talk a little bit more about that, the relationship between these two books. And I want to ask, because, I mean, you've, you've said a little bit about it mm-hmm. and, and its continuity, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, four or five years between books, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we, we develop as thinkers and, right, and have right. new insights and interests. So yeah. I'm interested in, in how uh, how African ecomedia is a continuation mm-hmm. of what you established in Naturalizing Africa, mm-hmm. but also ways that maybe you've had shifts of thinking or emphasis, mm-hmm. if there are those, mm-hmm. or if it really is just as you had sort of indicated previously mm-hmm. about widening the, the field of, of study of, of, yeah. of cultural production. Right. Yeah. Thank you for that question, John. Yes. Yeah, so I think, you know, um, not, I see naturalizing Africa, you know, to just be, you know, just be honest and just be sad. It's really, I see it as, it, it, you know, it's for me, it's a tradition of first books. It's, it's a safe book in a way, <laughs> you know. It's a book that came out of a dissertation, you know, within an English department and, you know, had to, had to you know, was bent to fit a, a, a disciplinary framework, you know, and, you know, I'm grateful for the guidance that, um, that I received in East Lansing, you know, to, you know, to, um, develop the book. But as I came to, as, as I came to, as I came to this, the second book, you know, which developed, you know, outside, you know, the close supervision of a dissertation committee, I think, you know, I, I, I think I, I felt that I, I had the permission Oh, I had to really engage, you know, my, you know, my wide ranging interest, you know, to, um, you know, to, to bring together, you know, to, you know, to press, to press the sociopolitical, historical dimension of the work in ways that I could not do as much as in the, you know, in the literary analysis that underpins my first book. So I would say in terms of method, you know, that's one, that's one of the, that's one of the differences that I see that this, you know, really, you know, this, this is, expressive of my of my of my temperament as a scholar as a scholar that uh-huh. that ranges is a scholar that really tries to you know to, to you know to bring together you know 
that's you know i don't want to toot my own but if there's something i think i i think i know how to do it's really bringing together and i think you know it's really um yeah that's one thing that i think i did in this book that, that, that i um i wasn't able to do um but i thought too that you know in this book i was complicating more some of the things i was saying about human and non-human relationship in in the first book i thought that right by the time i came to I came to chapter four, in, you know, of in this book, you know, um, I was able to, you know, um, to, you know, to not only emphasize, emphasize, you know, the possibilities of human, non-human entanglement, but also become more aware of, um, but also, you know, engaged with, you know, scholars, especially in diaspora, who would think maybe differently with that perspective. You know, so I think I was able to. Why not losing my argument? I was able to bring more nuance, you know, to, to my to some of the thinking of the first book, you know. While you know, incorporate, I've had the opportunity to think, opportunity to listen to the to alternative perspectives and try to um, bring them into the um, into the um, conversation here. And more, but more, more, more importantly, I think you know, in this in this book, broader broader you know field formations, I've, I think I've become more comfortable, more more you know my you know. I, I was able. I think. I think I was able to, you know, to really position this book also better in terms of future formations, and um, you know, um, not necessarily within one a particular one, but at the intersection of of of, um, of a few, and then you know, mm -hmm. and yeah. So I think you know, those are some of the things that um, that you know that I've I've been I've been able to do. But it also allowed me to my life. One of my interesting things has been to to be a scholar who is not just thinking. Africa, mm -hmm. but it's thinking Africa in relation with with other with other other places. I think I was able to try a little bit here in different ways, you know. So that's one of the things I'm really happy about. One of the things that I did differently um, in the in, in, in this book. I think that makes um, a lot of sense. There's lots you can do if you're not underneath the supervision. <laughs> <laughs> it is a good thing to first, you know. It's a good yeah. thing to first be, you know. As I, you know, I, 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 I joke with a colleague here who is always pushing back against interdisciplinarity, and I'm and it sees it as a weak. I'm like, no, it's not a weakness <laughs> to be a good interdisciplinary scholar. You have to master a discipline first. So I think you know the the things I was able to get away with, or the rules I was able to break here, was made possible by the fact that I, I was able to you know learn those rules in the first place, and then be able to know, um, be able to um, break them now and have a reason. I'm able to talk about the reason why you know why um, why why I, I am I am breaking them. So. That, that formation is important, Fatima. Let's say it's important. I know, it's, it's super. <laughs> and I think reading Naturalizing Africa, yeah. I think towards the end of the book, you know, it was African literature and environmental, you know, studies yeah. and eco-criticism. And then you brought in post-colonial eco-criticism. Right. So, right. And it was levels and layers mm. and then when i got to african eco media yeah. some you said this is not linear yeah. and i was like okay yeah. We're <laughs> yeah. i was like there is a foundation that needed to be set yes which definitely set in the first book right right and then the second book you were just like well now we're going to add in some what's what's really happening yes yes <laughs> and the nuances and i was like oh my goodness it's you just paint this huge picture yeah 
um, that, you know, not, not a lot of us see. So it was definitely, um, it's really nice to see this other side, like you said, the nuances mm. to it. Mm. Yeah. So, it definitely, and I think what uh, this term that caught me mm. in, you know, reading this book was um, pluralistic eco-aesthetic. Mm. <laughs> I was like, this is a loaded term that, yeah. you know, he has to talk about. So how did you put these, t you know, terms together mm. and like, what does it mean? Mm. Okay. So one, one, thing I, one thing I want to say is that, you know, that term, you know, which I, I agree with you is very evocative. You know, I'm, I'm borrowing that term from another scholar, in, you know, who I, who I cite in the book. But, but the term is useful for me because of the way that, you know, our our work tends to be grounded in some ways, a kind of medium specificity, you know, work on, you know, I work on, I remember some of some mentors when I mentioned beginning this book, like, oh, you're not going to work on literature anymore. I'm like, no, I'm still going to work on literature, but I also want to do these other things. That's the way in which medium specificity, you know, is really, uh, you know, uh, orients the work that we do. And even eco-criticism that, or uh, environmental humanities that really it should be about relation is still fundamentally, um, you know, people still work in, music, in film, in literature, and things primarily, of course, the exceptions. So for me, what, what, made that, what made that term useful is the way in which, you know, the term does not discriminate, you know, between, you know, particular, particular forms. It doesn't privilege, say, the novel um, over film as a vehicle of ecological, as, 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 as an ecological form. It doesn't privilege, oh, documentary film over feature film as uh, um, as the, a, a better medium, you know, for thinking environmental issues. And this is, this is some of the conversations happening in the field. And for me, what I would say is that there's a sense in which um, pl um, this plural aesthetic, you know, it aligns with a sense of multiplicity that are, that's really orienting, you know, some of the African cultural systems that I've been reading about and I know about growing up. You know, so that's so. So what it's sort of what what that term, why why I find it useful for my work is the the possibility that it it opens up to really bring these different forms of media together. Um, you know, to bring from literature to art installations together. To also bring different thinkers. You know, to bring different thinkers together. Um, you know, in you know in in different ways. So you know, to bring you know that it's fine for you know. Um, you know, Aidega on dwelling, you know, to work with Shoinka on Yoruba ways of being in the world, you know, and let's, you know, let's, let's see, you know, let's, um, let's, um, you know, that it's possible to do that again. African being in the world, Africans are not isolationists, you know, yes. So, so that's, so that, that's really become central. So, so that plural equal aesthetic really for me, you know, it matches the spirit uh, from, you know, bricolage really that is at work in the book in terms of materials, in terms of method, in terms of archive, um, and in terms of analysis, yes. Yeah, I was going to ask you, but I mean, you just mentioned it right there about yeah. that, uh, you use the word archive. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think there's been a real trend, and it has ethical and political reasons, yeah. of course, yeah. uh, behind it that mm. are legitimate and, you know, I think we mm -hmm. all take seriously mm -hmm. around as what I would call a sort of nationalist idea of archive. Right, right. 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 But what you were just saying was this expansive sense right, of archive, right? right, right and Africanata's right. isolationist, Rest, yes. or is as an isolated space. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. also, what's behind that, and I just maybe hear your thoughts a little bit about it, is thinking that archive in a productive way, mm -hmm. not that archive of you know. You mentioned Heidegger, and yeah. somehow we're 
we're re-encountering like the specter of colonialism, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. Europe justifying mm-hmm. Africa. You're doing something completely different with that yeah. notion of the pluralistic yes, in terms yes. of what an intellectual archive is mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. what possibilities there are for thinking. I, right. find, I find that mm. really interesting because it does push against, I think, a trend towards a more nationalist idea of, of archives and methods. Mm-hmm. Um, but Yes, yes, I, and yeah, and yeah, and, and thank you for for seeing that. And 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 for me, I think you know my sense of um, scholarship, my sense of the work, especially in our current moment, you know, um, of you know decolonization and all that, is not to replace one with the other. I, I think well, there are things we need to replace. There's no problem with that. But I, but I think it's a problem to throw, you know, you know, to use the proverbial, you know, baby with the bathwater. I, I think I, I, I think it's a problem. I think we are we are richer when we engage with the gamut of you know of of you know of knowledge that are out there. Um, it is a problem when you know that Af- when African you know when you know black thinkers, you know black cultural product black null you know black epistemology don't get don't get you know you know really at is you know is not central to the work we do so we should address that but this larger tradition also that you know is part of our inheritance as thinkers and scholars you know they need to be grappled with they need to be engaged you know so we shouldn't replace you know so yes Heidegger should be studied you know but Shrinka should also be studied you know um you know um so that's that's the philosophy that uh that I, I think is you know it's, it's what we should do and especially as you know as we're thinking about the next generation of scholars too we should, we should do that we should put on for us for our graduate students to us to know you know they should be exposed to this gamut of knowledge and make choices based on that and not be made to believe that oh it's fine for you to just study shoyinka and you know um study you know shoyinka du bois and then really you're fine i think we're, we're not doing service to you know to you know this you know brilliant minds you know that you know who can discern you know what will be useful for them yeah so that's my sense of um, of the field and that's what i've tried to do in my own work yeah yeah and it reminds me of, i mean this is a you know not to turn the conversation towards me but it's a it's a particular um like a minor obsession yeah. of mine mm. that, you know, Senghor had a series of essays yeah. around 1940, 1942 yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. about us on assimilation. Yes. Where yes. when you see assimilation in the titles, I yeah. think people think, oh, he's going to talk about us, you know, Africans right. being assimilated right. into right. To whiteness or mm-hmm. Frenchness or mm-hmm. Europeanness. Mm-hmm. But he's talking about the opposite. He's right. like the achievement of negritude. Yes. Right. One right. of the achievements of negritude mm-hmm. is the ability to, um, to assimilate European thought mm-hmm, mm-hmm. into African yes. thought and render yeah. it completely different, and it's a, it's a, it's an inversion of that's of the colonial anxiety right, of influence, right, right? And really is already a post-colonial vision, but that seems to have gotten lost right. in so many ways right. in in the, that particular legacy. Mm-hmm, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's you know Senghor as a kind of big event unto himself. Right, but right. I think the emphasis on negritude. Mm-hmm. That that's that element that gets missed. That I think you retrieve, mm-hmm. which is you know if you come from a robust sense of Africanness right, and, right. and African cultural production yes. and possibility, yes. mm-hmm. Heidegger is not a threat. Yes, right. It, Heidegger must be assimilated in that sense of mm-hmm. like 
the way you assimilate knowledge right. it comes into right. you mm-hmm. and allows you mm-hmm. to say something different yes yes and, and 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 that's the thing and especially which is part of what will make this moment dangerous in some ways because that that that's train you know this you know expansive notion of blackness and africanness sometimes you know you you know you get you know you you get a knock for it you know how dare you you know are you you're colonized you know you're you've not you've not you know you've you've not um really been rescued from you know or escaped your your um colonialism so i think you know um it's it is it is a good thing you know for people who are interested and i think you know that's um it is it is valuable work i think you know the book is better for me because of you know this wide latitude that I've, um, I, I give myself and, you know, in thinking about the book. Yeah. You also provide this for others and, you know, this expansiveness of blackness moves away from a monolithic way of right. looking at, you know, the black people and looking at what sent you decentralize the conversation mm. and, see how blackness you know is in contact with the environment right so i think that was very um it's really useful to have in the scholarship especially for graduate students to see um and use which is exactly what i'm doing so (laughs) (laughs) but um i think it also made me want to ask you know you speak to black you speak about black panther in the book Mm -hmm. and how you know like you said earlier with the cover Mm -hmm. it's not to just um, move away from the ugliness, mm. but to really, you know, re- you know, respond with it and interact with it. Mm. So, and you, you, you talk about using insightful reading. Right, right. Can you, can you talk about this approach of um, what, what this is? You know, we have a lot of terms now, you know, mindfulness, right. <laughs> you know, like rhetorical listening. So <laughs> reading and listening and writing, yeah. but, um, so what what is insightful reading to yes. you? Okay, yeah. First, I would say, Fatima, I'm sorry that now there's one more term that you need to figure out for your exams if you haven't done that or that you need to find a way <laughs> to bring it to your work. Um, yeah, but, you know, on a, on a more serious note, I think, so, you know, this was a term that came up really toward the end of the book, I will be honest. It wasn't the time I was thinking about when I was, because uh, I, I just, I, I just, I am, I just I, I like to read text, you know. I'm I'm less interested in in in, in coinages, honestly. I'm more interested in just reading the text. Yeah. But the term was the the issue. One issue was was coming up for me as I was you know engaging with audiences who invited me to talk about the book as I was writing it, and that was the question of images. You know, the image of black people, the image of black suffering, and all that. And that was so that that was um. But then I got to a point where, you know, I could, when, when it's Q&A, I could just predict the first question. I'm like, yeah, all right, get it out and let's move on to the next thing. You know, it seems flippant now, but, it, you know, but one thing that struck me, I'm like, okay, I, I thought that it was just so easy to say, you know, these are images of exploitation. It became so easy, you know, for me. And I thought, you know, it, it wasn't enough. If we've been trained as literary scholars or as readers more broadly to think of, you know, the kind of polysemic or multiple meanings, you know, in a work, I, w- I wanted to, I wanted to stay with this image despite the problems that it posed to see what other possibilities, you know, could emerge from them. How can they become a, a tool not of exploiting the other, but of actually, you know, critiquing this exploitation of the other? And that was really where, so, you know, that was where insightful, you know, um, 
So rather than, because what people, what people, people were against that was saying was that, well, you know, we shouldn't be showing these images. And for me, so inside became interesting for me in that, you know, we should keep them inside. We should, you know, you no, know, because there's a sense in which, you know, not to look at that image from the Delta. Part of it is that it unsettles us, right? Yeah, part of it is that we're, uncom we're uncomfortable. And I'm like, you know, we are consumers of this pollution. We should stay with that discomfort. That's 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 part of my thinking, you know. In you know, so so that in so that so thinking, if we separate, you know, the word inside into two words, you know, so that rather than avoid them, which is what which is the easy or the common thing to do, I wanted to say that we should keep them inside, you know. So you know, keep them inside, you know. That we need to engage with this, you know, with this problematic. That's you know. We have, you know, um, um, created. Um, so for me, those images, you know, they were, you know, if if I could, you know, if I could borrow from Scott, you know, from David Scott, you know, they were, you know, problem space, you know, they were problem, they were, you know, they were problem spaces that I that we needed to stay with, you know, to keep them inside. But then the more I looked at the term itself, you know, insight, you know, the etymology talks about, you know, in you know, wisdom. You know, it kind of is something, you know, an inner view, wisdom, you know. And I thought that yes, these images for their problems contain wisdom as well. So I thought so 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 the notion of you know keeping things in view inside, but also this etymological definition that takes us back to the notion of wisdom. And also, you know, um so those 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 were so those made me you know, they, they made the term compelling. And it felt that you know, programmatically, I needed to explain those images before my readers encounter them, you know, in the chapters of the book. So that was really how insightful reading came about. It's an acknowledgement of the problems of these images, and but then say, okay, what else can we do with them despite these problems? You know, these problems um, that's what we're talking about. How can they? How can they be read as you know as vehicle of critique in ways that you know open up other possibilities? Beyond, you know, the simple dismissal as poverty porn and all that. So I, mm -hmm. I hope, you know, at least that's my. I hope that insightful reading, you know, provides some, you know, some some bridge, you know, to that, you know, to to a way of really grappling with, to a way of, you know, um, um, grappling with. Because the, the question of, you know, even as I finish the book, you know, the question of sight, the problem of visibility has remained crucial, you know. Um, you know, when, in, I don't know if, when, early on, right before the pandemic started or immediately after it started, there was this controversy in the Associated Press, that was at the World Economic Forum, where there was an image of this young activist, including Greta Thunberg, and, and um, there was the Ugandan young woman, Vanessa Nakati, who somehow got cropped out of the image. You know, we can say, yeah, this happens, but it just, for me, just encapsulates the problem of keep, you know, what's, what do we keep in sight and what do we hide away? So Vanessa Nakati for me and the images of this, you know, this, 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 um, you know, these people who are suffering this impact of ecological degradation, I want, I see them as belonging to a continuum. Um, so, you know, a continuum of images that we prefer to hide away, you know, because of black, and I, 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 I want to challenge that. Um, um, yeah, so that, that's what, you know, the time is doing um, in, in the book. It's a it also term. makes me think about, I think, was it, um, I believe one of the chapters right after you speak about waste. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it really did set the groundwork of, like you said, it made me be like, okay, we're, we're going to talk about the waste that 
everybody wants to have a clean place, yeah. but then we want yeah. to where, you know, what, where is this, you know, dump going right, to? Right, when right. you really speak to that, especially, you know, the, the chapters, what is not out of our sight doesn't mean it's no longer a problem, right. especially right. if it's being dumped on the continent. Right. <laughs> you, right. you know, it's still right. a problem for somebody. Yes. And it's um, essentially, it's all of our problems yes. that we should be more concerned about. Yes, yes. And that's really important. The fact that we're not showing images of this young man in the Delta pushing the oil barrel, that, the fact that we're not showing them, we've not given them dignity by not showing those images. If we don't, if we don't address the, the fundamental problems in the Niger Delta, you know, we're not we're not giving them dignity. And I think, you know, as a simplicity, so for me, that's why I said it's simplicity to just say that, oh, you know, let's just show, it. let's not subject black people to this. You know, there are moments maybe when, you know, but I thought that, you know, we could. There are responsible ways of doing it, and insightful reading, you know, is a way, you know, one way to you know to think about a res responsible way of engaging with such images. And I like the phrase uh, insightful reading also because <laughs> just rhetorically, uh, yeah. who doesn't want to be an insightful reader? <laughs> what? <laughs> what, it <means> you, <laughs> what it means when you deploy it yeah. <laughs> exactly connects to these deeply ethical and political yeah, right, uh, right. concerns about how we read. read right, right, so, right. Um, I like that. It, it kind of lays a little bit of a trap. It's like yeah. insightful. Well, I want to be <laughs> Now I have to think about this. <laughs> yes, I like that. <laughs> it makes you do a double take. I think yeah. after I saw that term, I was like, what else have I not been reading? <laughs> You know, so and then I I remember I literally I looked at my bookshelf and I'm like I feel like I'm gonna have to do you know look at things in, in a different way not that I can read all those books again but it's really transfer like you know and like it's such a it goes it makes you encounter something what makes me uncomfortable mm -hmm. and why <laughs> yeah thank you thank you so much I appreciate that thank you let me ask you about the fourth chapter okay. Um, uh, titled Human Meets Animal, yeah. Africa Meets Diaspora, right. um, where you engage the themes of the book mm. and you want to bring it into a conversation with mm. the movement for Black Lives, right. uh, Black Lives Matter movement. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious just to hear you talk a little bit uh, about you know the content of the chapter, also right. why this particular uh, topic, mm. but also I'm interested in you know, what you, what you think that movement towards mm. Black Lives Matter, the movement for Black Lives, mm. is able to tell us that other approaches to those movements uh, mm. can. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so um, that, that, that chapter really, it was a way for me to, it was, it, it was really a way for me to, because part of the challenge I've, I've, I'm noticing, you know, it really the way that the disconnects that you find um, between, you know, African and really some of the diasporic, uh, you know, um, train of thought. You know, I, I, I would like to see more convergence, you know, despite the tensions. I'd like to see more convergence in the scholarship. And which, you know, apart from a few scholars who, you know, who really, who are really, at, at, you know, at Atlantic thinkers, you know, and I, I, you know, from your book on Glisson, I, I really come to you among them. Um, I think that apart from that, most of the work really run, you know, are running, you know, in, in parallel directions. Um, 
it was interesting to me that a book came out on African-American environmental thought, you know, just two years after my book came out. And I'm really, I mean, we're, we're, we're dealing with similar issues, but clearly there was really no conversation. And so for me, that chapter really came out fundamentally out of an effort to address, address, um, address that. So, um, but more, more locally, I was writing the book when that, you know, this is so the lion event happened in 2015 and it just and it went bonkers and um and i was like okay this is an image event this is an image event you know this is relevant to the book i was writing you know and i thought you know initially i thought it was just going to be what starts the book what opens up the book or what comes in the epilogue as a way to but but you know but but as i as i was in, i was i was walking trying to think about the films in the chapter that I thought were going to be the primary objects in that chapter, it became clear to me that, wait, wait a minute, why, 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 why was this moment significant? Why did this, you know, lions are taken on the continent every day, and Americans go there and hunt every day and take whatever they want. Like, why was this, why was this different? And that, that, that really got me thinking about, you know, and, I, I, and it, it struck me that we can't separate this moment from a long durée of colonial, you know, colonial, um, you know, exploitation, but also the particular moments that we're in, which is really this moment of thinking about the other, you know, the other. And I thought that, yes, blackness, you know, as the other on one hand. Um, but, you know, this, this Zimbabwean space is also a space, you know, of, of black people. So the space of black people and the animal, you know, is in fact the other. And, you know, historically, blackness, Africans and animals have really been linked together. So it was a way. So that, that was really, so the, the chapter was a way for me. So it, it became clear to me an argument could be made and should be made that we need to resist the lions that within the context of, you know, the black, you know, the black um, lives matter movement, and I think part of what makes this moment interesting and significant too, interestingly, is actually its use of images. I think, I think part of what makes this Black Lives Matter the blue use of images, not just of you know the unfortunate you know um, you know black men and women that have been that have had to you know that have had, that we've lost you know through to this violence, but also the, the you know you know the image of resistance. You know the you know the the um the image of resistance you know from from you know from you know Ferguson to Florida really the image of resistance you know becomes central. So I think you know in a way, um, in 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 a way you know you know um so images you know really it's part of why you know this movement from Black Lives you know really became um became you know became very powerful you know. Thinking of you know that unwatchable video of you know of George Floyd's you know on the police officer on 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 you know George Floyd's neck, you know we don't we know we don't want to see them they are uncomfortable but these are images though that spoil you know that spoil a kind of participatory culture you know that spoil you know some you know some change you know even if the work remains you know incomplete so so I think you know what what is different one of the things that is indifferent here. It's the question of um, the you know the, the um, question of image images and and um, and social media. That's really you know some of the things that yeah. But ultimately, for me in that chapter, I hope it, it begins or it continues. You know, early work of really trying to bridge just with our differences to bridge the gap. You know, between you know between you know what's happening on the continent and what is happening in the you know in the, in the United States. Yeah.
I think that's really um, important to bridge that gap. Like you said, conversations are happening, but they're happening in silos. So, um, but just as you said, we need to master the disciplines before we can right, <laughs> connect. Right, right, right. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and it's just, uh, but would you say that it also speaks to, I'm going to use a coinage that you introduced <laughs> once more. <laughs> would this also speak to the imperfect media you know, seeing, you know, images and even docu- that they're just, uh, they're quite horrendous. Mm. You know, they're, they really shake our souls. Right. They shake mine for sure. Mm. You know, so is that, would you also put that in that sense? You know, these images we're seeing coming up from the diaspora right. or. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, correct. Yes, I think, yes, images coming out from diaspora, but also thinking happening in diaspora, you know, that chapter that, you know, John mentioned, it's shaped not only by work of African thinkers and all that, but you know, you know, from Sadia Atman's work to, um, f- you know, f- you know, Fred Moulton to you know Alexander Willey. Those are some of the people that I'm bringing in. You know, um, agreeing where I agree, but also extending, extending their thoughts, like you know, Willey's thinking on, on animals and blackness and all that. So yes, it is this. Um, you know, we have to, you know. Yeah, bringing it together on different levels become become you know be, become important. Yeah, and then you know, but the term though you know to come to imperfect media is really is a term that you you know, uh, you know, comes for me from imperfect cinema, which is this nineteen seventies manifesto, you know, on thought cinema, which you know is taking of Hollywood as a reactionary cinema that, you know, in this moment of decolonization in the sixties and seventies, Espinoza was thinking was arguing that we need we need art, we need the work of art that is a kind of guerrilla artwork. It is not shiny like Hollywood. It doesn't lull us to adjust the rhythms of capitalism. It is, you know, it is, it is, it is not shiny. It is dirty. It is, um, it, it is not well made. If you follow the uh, impulse of Hollywood, but it's, it goes towards a radical end. So the Battle of Orges, for example, becomes central, become an important film in this tradition. The work of um, the Ethiopian filmmaker Ali Garima would also be included. So for me, Imperfect Media offers a term then of updating updating really the notion of imperfect cinema because if imperfect cinema um you know centers of on a kind of anti-colonial decolonization moment how then do we adjust media production in the moments of planet planet crisis in the moments where we know that resources are not infinite you know that really finitude is central not just to our lives as human beings but also to the resources that you know that are powering the world so imperfect media then you know is is a term for me that that I'm I'm using to think about ways that artists, you know, some of them African artists, are out of necessity because of limited funding, because they don't have the kind of infrastructure of Hollywood, uh, you know, the kind of adjustments, the kind of improvisation that they've had to make in the production of their works. So I see those works as, you know, they're offering blueprints, snapshots of the kind of media of the future, of art of the future that is not only engaging ecologically through their content, but also their production and form at the same time. So, so that's the, and I think in African artists, and in, and in, in fact, indigenous, you can say, in, you know, indigenous, you know, artists as well, indigenous filmmakers, you know, in the Americas too, are at the forefront of that kind of work. 
you know. And then, and this also has implications not only for production, but also for consumption. How are we as people who go to movies? How are we then? How are we? How, how, you know, how can we readjust our tastes to you know to you know to you know to what makes a, a good film? If we don't have the luxury of spending billions of dollars and burning so much carbon, you know, how can we adjust our taste, you know, to that reality in filmmaking, not only filmmaking, production, filmmaking, but also as people who, who go to view films. So imperfect media is a term that I hope, you know, you know, um, try to capture that thinking about media production and consumption attuned to our um, crisis moment. And I, I really love that. It makes me think about, you know, Senegalese TV shows, oh, okay. which are actually, they're just filmed and they're uploaded onto YouTube. It's, it's, and yeah. I watch them and it's like, you will hear the cat in the background right. and you will right. see somebody. Yeah. You, like, it is yeah. not, you know, it's yes. not like you said, it's raw. <laughs> yes. And yes. I enjoy it. I, I think all the Senegalese like people who are, immigrated in Europe where he we all watch yes. it and we never ever said, Oh well that wasn't polished. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. That's kind of like if somebody usually somebody else calls it out, they're like, huh, that was a blurry moment or why why is that kept Yes. Yes. <laughs> but it's um it's 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 still there's a beauty to it. There's a mm-hmm. and they use, you know, either Usman Senbin from the past right, and right. then they incorporate it with the present. Yeah, yeah. And like yeah. you said, it, it really is the art yes. of the future. Yes, yes, and yes, you, you know, that's the perfect example. And I'm glad you mentioned Senegal and you know and Semben because in, in, our, in my discussion of imperfect media, Semben is crucial. You know, Semben writes about, you know, talks about, you know, what he calls, you know, um Megotage, you know, making film from like as like from cigarette butt. Because some of the some some of the film stock he was using were those that his friends in Europe had when you know, I discarded and all that, and they will send them to him. Those are the things he would improvise, you know. So this recycling, this minimalism, this, this a, you know, this a, this notion of reuse, repair and reuse, rather than you know, quick obsolescence and replacement. You know, those are some of the things that imperfect media. And yes, African filmmakers, you know, and it's interesting to say that too because, like, some sometimes I'm in Nigeria and I'm like, yeah, let's go see a movie. Let's go, to, let's go to the cinema and you know, friends or relatives are like, yeah, let's go see an American film. And I'm like, but let's, they're like, oh, Nollywood is not well made. And I'm like, what make, you know, so what standard are we judging Nollywood by, you know? And that's, that's the the question. We have to displace our notion of standard, you know, um, given, um, given that woman. Yeah, but thanks, yeah, thanks for that um, um, example from, you know, from the um, Senegalese um, TV show. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, you know, given what you've said previously about about having a more expansive sense of archive, not yeah. only in terms of geography, yes. but also in terms of internal sources. Yes. You know, it's one thing to say I have this expanded mm-hmm. archive, mm-hmm. right? And then 
the ability, your ability to follow that up with this notion of insightful reading, right. which is an imperative of the reader. Right, right. Um, what I really like about this phrase, imperfect media, and mm. the work it does, and the work it will do mm. for those of us mm. who read the book and mm. continue to write about in a sort of multimedia context mm. in mm. terms of our archives, is we also have to have characterizations of of the objects of our study yes. that regulate our, our approach mm-hmm. to it in yes, some way. Correct. Um, for exactly the ways, you know, you say it's not refined, mm-hmm. but there can also be the fetishization of, of the unrefined, right, but you really, right. I think strike the, mm-hmm. like a character in giving a characterization, mm-hmm. a, a different tone. It's yes. not about like the, the fetish about the, the unrefined as somehow like purely, Mm-mm. you know, whatever. Mm-mm. Right. But also no reification of, of Oh, 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 oh yes, and, and and really that's important, and that and that that's the thing that that's the reason. I remember I was t- I was I was going to say perfect media initially. That in fact I was that was for the time I wanted to use. But the other thing about imperfection here, in the way I, I'm using it, is also to mark that the fact that I you know I this works tend to be ecologically progressive does not mean they're there. Does not mean they are, you know, they are perfect. You know, imperfect imperfection is also a nod to the fact that they are works in progress, and that's and that's really and and and, and it, it is a good thing. It is a good thing. You know, we should, you know, the work of of perfecting our media should be a continuous process. You know, um, that you know, even for the ones that I, I, I include as offering possibilities, you know, that they are not they're not there yet. You know. But they offer a kind of signpost, and you know the work. The work continues. So yes, so um, so we can hold up these works without romanticizing them. You know, yes. So yeah, you're, uh, yeah, I like that point. Yeah, John. Yeah, thank you. I think there's a real thread, mm. you know, in, in the book and yeah. in this conversation about finitude. Yes, like yes. You take finitude really seriously. Yes, yes. You end up with, mm. you know, insightful reading mm. rather than. You know, uh, objective reading. Yeah. You know, some mm-hmm. some sort of cognate, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. as well as what you were saying about mm-hmm. imperfect and perfecting media. Right. You know, cultivation, right. becoming. I mean, mm-hmm. those are right. Those, in some ways, are iterations of finitude. Yes. Yes. Which, I as do. you say, is about resource. Mm-hmm. It's about eco. Yeah. It's about the non-human right, and right. about the human. Right. Right. So apparently, we're finite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as is the earth. As the earth know, too. So. Yes. Yes. As 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 is the earth too. Yeah. Thank you. So let me ask as a, a sort of uh, one of the sort of final two uh, questions, okay. you know, when you write a book, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I, I always say this, um, you know, I'm sure I, I'm not the only one who, who feels this way, but I've, uh, my uh, nightmare is that no one will read my book when I publish it. <laughs> and my other nightmare is that someone will read my book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Because readers are, are yeah. can be a little bit terrifying yes, just because. Yes. Yes. Uh, because we can't control, right. nor I think if we're anti-imperial at a very mm-hmm. deep level, yeah. should we want to control mm-hmm. uh, how people uh, react to our books, yes. right? That's part of the hermeneutic mm-hmm. event mm-hmm. Of, of, of having readers mm-hmm. as they take away from it right. uh, something that comes from their own approach. Right. But at the same time, I think there's a real, I mean, there's obviously something we want mm. 
to do to readers when we write. And I I kind of make the distinction between a takeaway, Mm. which is like a soundbite, and a walk away, Mm. which is about how you, like your very embodiment Mm. and your sensibilities Mm. are changed Mm. by what you've read. Mm -hmm. And so in that way, I think is the highest aspirations Mm. in books Mm. when we write them, or even articles. Someone sort of walks and feels differently after it. Mm. So I wanted to just ask you, um, you know, how do you, want your readers or how do you imagine your readers walking away in terms of their sensibilities embodiment sense of network and politics Mm. how do you imagine them walking away from this book wow that is a tough one because you know um, frankly you know i i i have (laughs) my 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 ambition for scholarship is really you know it's really been been you know been uh, very modest and i think somehow you know, when African, when Naturalizing Africa came out and, you know, I got a little buzz and I'm like, wow, how is this even possible? I just, I've just imagined that, okay, this is a book that will be tucked somewhere and hopefully one day, you know, somebody will give me tenure based on it and then, you know, I'll move on <laughs> in the world. Yeah. yeah. But that book and this one, you know, but I've, I've been, yes, yeah, so I've been, I've really been, I've been humbled and, you know, by, by the kind of, um, you know, by the kind of, um, Really, um, the kind of, you know, how do I put it, you know, the kind of um, buzz or whatever that's come around them. But fundamentally, though, when I think of my, when I think of my reader, you know, if if I if if I if I were to think of my think my readers, what I would hope, you know, because I can't even imagine, but what I would hope that at the end of this, at the end of reading, at the end of reading, at the end of reading the book, I I, I just I, I want them to, I just want, I think I did well, what I want. Is the book to you know be you know be you know a book like this especially beginning with the image and then the content. I want I want I want it to move them, and I want them to move them. And thinking of affect as both as both a bodily and, and a cognitive thing, you know, is what I'm thinking mm. here. That you know that that you know that bodily disposition shifts, but also they are thinking about some of the issues that you know that I've I've um. I've, I've raised, you know, that, I, I, I don't know what, you know, I, I I think I care less about what exactly it moves them toward or what it moves them to, but I'm more interested in the fact that, you know, it produces, you know, some kind of shift, you know, both cognitive and bodily, um, which is, yeah, so that that's really what I would say. And then for those, you know, ultimately then who are scholars or whatever that, you know, and, you know, for scholars then that, I will be quite satisfied, you know, if I can paraphrase, you know, the Nigerian writer, you know, actually, if, you know, if really, you know, this pause, you know, you know, for that thinking, if it's pause for that thinking, you know, whether in disagreements or whatever, it doesn't really matter. But if really shifting the terrain, shifting the terrain of thought and conversation has always been central to what I hope, what I hope, you know, that what I do would, um, would, um, would 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 produce. So I think you know that's that's really um, satisfactory for me. If people just get to think about this and you know disagree vehemently, or you know, or agree part partially or whatever. But in as far as it's you know, it's forced them to you know to think and 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 it moves them. And that comes also in, in the writing too. I hope you know, I in the, the the way I write too, I try to. I, I want it to, you know, to be, you know, to be, you know, I want the writing to be bodily in some way. And, you know, and John, you know, in your book on Glissant, you know, that comes through too. It is not just an intellectual, you know, theoretical project, you know, that, you know, you know, the writing too, 
you know, is is doing something. And I'm thinking of your your your, your thinking. You know, what, what's been most productive for me from that work is your thinking on the, on the mangrove. You know, you know, the, your, you know, your thinking of on, on the mangrove, which has been helpful for me in reading. Um, um, Conde's crossing the mangrove, you know, in my new project mm -hmm. on African and Caribbean literature, um, you know, bringing them together. It is that's, that, that, you know, that, that's something moving about that. It's not just the, the thought, but also the way that the writing, you know, the, you know, the, you know, the poetic nature of the theorization. So for me, so, you know, I hope the writing, but also the intellectual content, you know, are yeah. doing the, uh, you know, are doing the kind of work that you're, you know, your work, you know, is doing for me, you know, both bodily but also cognitively. Oh, thank you. That is my, that is what I want to get out. You know, that's what I hope. That's what I hope. You know, people <laughs> get out of the book. Yeah. <laughs> I can definitely testify that um, you definitely caused a cognitive shift. <laughs> you know, it was. Um, I think I was driving to campus one day, mm. and it was clear skies. Yeah. And there were these birds flying. Mm, mm. I don't you know, often stop, especially uh, when you're driving, yeah. that's the first thing you're supposed to do. Yeah. But I looked up mm. and it, they made this beautiful V shape. Mm, mm. And I was like looking around right. like to other cars, like, are you, are, are you, you noticing? <laughs> <laughs> that is beautiful <laughs> you know, though. <laughs> I was just driving, but I, I don't think I would have noticed mm. that before yeah. reading the yeah. book because I, you know, we're, I'm only looking at humans. Yeah, right. I'm looking at material. Yeah, yeah. But your book did this thing, you know, and I it like it made me shift. Yeah, thank you. And notice the non-human. Yeah. And now, even while I'm watching, mm. you know, African media, mm. I'm like noticing mm. the environment yeah. and what it's telling us yeah. about what we're looking yeah, at. You yeah. know, mm -hmm. so it's it's like you really bring the background to the foreground. The foreground. <laughs> so, yes. Yes. And I'm like yeah. looking at it, but I remember I came to campus and then I went to my um, professor and I was like, there were these birds and they made this birds beautiful V <laughs> and it was just like, I don't know if they synced up together, Yes, yes. <laughs> but it was, and I just felt connected to the birds, but I had to keep my eye on 495. Okay, yeah. so it, was, <laughs> it was just, um, yeah, I think, you you emulate that in your writing mm. by having us like look at something. You're like, I know this is happening, mm. but let's look at the yeah. other side. Yeah, thank you. So thank it you. was it was definitely yeah. um, it shows. Thank you so much. Yeah, I know I should go. I should go write that in my you know in my <laughs> in my activity you know annual report that hey you know before you know this this, this, this is having this, this book is having some. <laughs> Bodily breaking effect, you know. We need to yeah, it's having a dangerous effect <laughs> on writing. I don't think they do that. <laughs> it should be a disclaimer. After yeah, you read you. this book, take a moment, <laughs> sit down, don't go anywhere. <laughs> Meditate with it, you know. But yeah. I guess while you are writing this book, yeah. writing does change us, mm. you know. We it um either in a good way, mm. hopefully in a good way. <laughs> But it, it brings out things, you know, as John says, we as the readers, some have a takeaway, some have a walk away. Um, I guess what does this process do for you, you know, and in terms of whether it's this book or the next, yeah. um, how did it change you in the writing process and what more can we expect? <laughs> yeah, you know, I think th this book has, has made writing harder for me. It's made hard, writing harder for me. I think it was oh, easier geez. to write Naturalizing Africa and this one with the expectation that, you know, 
it's not it's not not really thinking much of the of of readers um just you know thinking it's one of those things that we do this you know this a book on africa on environment and literature and all that you know by this guy you know whose, whose name you can't even pronounce you know i didn't i just this there was no expectations with you know writing the first book and even writing this one but now i i feel you know, I feel like, okay, wow, everything, you know, now I have to, everything I say, I have to be insightful, you know, and now that, you know, everything I, have to, I have to, everything I say, I have to be insightful. And now as I'm trying to imagine this book, which doesn't really have much environmental content, which is really on, you know, taking that African and American, African American literature, they've been studied together so well, um, you know, and African and European literature, and of course, I've been studied together so well. What if we take African and Caribbean literature as a site of thinking, you know, the, the diaspora, but also of thinking the Black Atlantic? That is really what I'm trying to think about in this new book. But it's really been difficult to write, not only because I have so many com much more commitments now that I'm really, I'm not finding time to do my own stuff, you know. Um, but also the fact that I'm like, okay, yeah, that there's nothing profound about this paragraph I've written. I should scratch it and then do more. So I would say, yes, writing this book as, you know, it's raised, it's raised the stake of writing for me. It's raised the stake of, you know, what's acceptable, um, what would pass, you know, what, you know, what would be forgivable. You know, this is the top, you know, the, this is the third time now. And I feel that's okay. That some people, some people know the name now. So it's put some pressure on me as a writer. But as a human being, though, I think, you know, more and more, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to, you know, I, I'm more and more, I'm becoming more conscious of some of the, you know, of some of the ethical -ish things that I'm thinking about, you know, that I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I'm thinking about in the book where, you know, um, you know, I, you know, my, the, the, the things, the purchases I'm making and all that, I'm, I'm becoming more interested in, in those kind of things. Of course, I can say, yeah, well, you know, partly, partly it's also because, you know, well, maybe I, I can afford to do more than I, than I was able to as a grad student or as soon as when I was living in Nigeria. But I think, you know, it is not just the more resources. It's also, you know, some of the readings and some of the thinking I've been doing. Um, so that you know, yeah, I think you know, it's making, it's making, it's it's making an impact on the way I live, I, I live my life too, and and that also makes me realize that it's also not very easy. It's also not very easy to just to imbibe those ethical, those ethical, uh, those ethical issues. It's not easy to just you know say you know what you know like you know for for my for my interests in the kind of work I do. I'm also someone who still loves to eat a lot of meat, for example. And I'm, you know, I'm trying, I'm walking and the, you know, the lives of those animals are, you know, are, are coming. And then, you know, I find myself enjoying them less and less, you know, and, and you know, there's, there's so much that, yeah. So I think, you know, this, this, you know, this, um, the, 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 the kind of thinking I'm doing and the kind of people I'm engaging in my own, in my own work, you know, they're having a, you know, a profound, a profound shift, you know, in the way that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm living you know, um, my own life as well. Yeah. Amazing. Well, um, thank you so much yeah. for making time yeah. today for this uh, conversation. I mean, it's a fantastic book. Yeah, thank you. Uh, paired with your first book. Thank you. Uh, I, I think you have really forged uh, new ground, which, you know, is what every book wants to do, but you've 
also really altered a lot of our sensibilities and made us have to ask new questions and um, and put new demands on our writing and thinking and living. Yeah, thank as you. As you said, that's that's the difficult yeah. part. And this conversation has been fantastic, and our. Uh, I really appreciate it so much. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, even for me too, you know. Yeah, I've, I've really, you know, enjoyed, you know, um, talking to both of you and, you know, getting to meet you too, you know. Um, so, yeah, so thank you for the opportunity. Yeah. Thank you so much, Kajitan. Thank you. Yeah, no problem.